Thank you, Jordan, for reading our scripture tonight. Thank you for being here. We are looking tonight at Isaiah chapters 37 and 38, and I would invite you to turn to those two chapters tonight as we study together. We're very grateful for the opportunity that we have to be together as always. We're thankful for the privilege that we have to sing, to pray, to take the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week, to give of our means, and also to study. And so tonight, I want to talk about a subject that is helpful to me, and I hope and pray that it's helpful to you. We're going to be talking tonight about prayer. And in our lesson text, I really think the New Testament correlation to what we're going to be studying tonight is found in James chapter 5, in verse 16. When James said, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And by that, I think James is saying there is power in prayer. The songs that we've been singing tonight remind us of the blessings of prayer. There are times in life when, quite frankly, we face circumstances that we have no answers for. Based upon what we see, what we hear, what we have seen in the past, again, we really don't have the adequate answers to deal with the perplexity of the problems that lie ahead. In Isaiah chapters 37 and 38, we have a record of King Hezekiah, a couple of very important issues arose in his life, calling, really calling for the need to pray. And so tonight I want us to, to think for a moment or two about what is recorded by the great prophet in the long ago. I want to, I want to just call your attention to the theme of our lesson tonight. The theme, I think, sums it up in many ways. It's time to take a knee. And by that I mean there are times in life when the only thing, the only recourse we have is to take a knee in prayer to God. Such was the case in the life of Hezekiah. So I want to begin tonight by first of all talking about the problems that called for Hezekiah's prayers. Really, there are two specific problems that are addressed in chapters 37 and 38. First, Hezekiah is facing what we would call imminent danger. The Assyrians are threatening. The king of, the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, is threatening the children of God. You remember the Assyrians had taken the northern kingdom into captivity in about 722-723 B.C. The northern kingdom had been plundered, the ten tribes. And now they're threatening King Hezekiah. Sennacherib is in effect saying, look, I'm coming for you guys. And he is threatening he is taunting the children of Israel. As a matter of fact, in chapter 37, he sends a messenger to the king. 
And he says on behalf of Sennacherib, verse 14, chapter 36, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you. Nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. And then in verse 16 he said, Do not listen to Hezekiah. Hezekiah, of course, was a man of faith. And based upon what he was seeing and what he was hearing, no doubt very perplexing. The messenger cited some of the conquests of the Assyrian kingdom. They had a track record. And what he was saying in effect is, do you really think the God of Israel can save you? Do you really think the God of heaven can intervene on your behalf? So he's threatening and he is taunting not only the children of Israel, but Hezekiah the king as well. And then if you drop down and look at chapter 37, look at verse 10 if you would. Thus you shall speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you, saying, Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. He said, Look, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands by utterly destroying them. And then he asked this question, Will you be delivered? Sometimes one of the real difficulties in life is to walk by faith and not by sight. Hezekiah could look at the evidence before him. If he were walking by sight, well, the evidence is in. These guys don't play. And they are coming and their, their intention is to absolutely plunder us. But Hezekiah was a man of faith and he walked by faith. So, First, he was threatened, taunted, facing imminent danger. But then there's a second, I think, problem that confronted the king. Hezekiah was not only facing imminent danger, but he was facing imminent death. Turn over, if you would, now to chapter 38. In chapter 38, in verse 1, in those days Hezekiah was sick and near death. And first of all, we have the messenger of death. That would be Isaiah the prophet. And then secondly, the message of death. That is, according to the prophet, he said, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Now anybody that knows anything about a prophet knows that the prophets of God, when they spoke, when they said something prophetically, it always came to pass, didn't it? So here he is, the messenger of death, so to speak. And he has been summoned to go before the king, this good king, who's already facing a major crisis in his life as king over Israel, the southern kingdom. And now, the prophet is saying to him, let me tell you what, you are facing imminent death. How would you respond? What would you do? Sometimes we talk about real life problems and sometimes the problems that we have. Those problems are hard for us to wrap our minds around. 
They are epic in proportion. The very nature of the problem or problems exhaust us mentally. Physically, we're challenged. Hezekiah is faced with some real problems. But now I want you to think with me, if you would, for just a moment or two, about the purpose of Hezekiah's prayers. What we're going to find is there was purpose behind the prophet's prayers to Almighty God. First and foremost, Hezekiah prays for public deliverance. Drop down with me if you would, beginning in verse 14. In verse 14, the text tells us, Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers, read it. He went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. Then Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, saying, Now I want you to note, if you would, first the simplicity of his prayer. And then we'll note the specifics. But he said, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear all the words of Sennacherib, who has sent to reproach the living God. Truly the Lord, the kings of Assyria, have laid waste all the nations and their lands, and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they have destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord, our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord, you alone. Now let me just stop there for a minute. In a very simplistic way, Hezekiah laid before God, before the altar of God, the difficulties that he was facing from a national perspective, a public perspective, so to speak. Interestingly, in verse 16, he uses some terms that lend insight into his faith. He said, O Lord of hosts, when he used this phrase, Lord of hosts, host depicting the armies of the living God. And I think really what he's saying is he's calling upon the God of power. Now you think about, here's this major power. They are threatening, they are taunting. The king is saying, look, we are, we are coming for you. As a matter of fact, back in chapter 36, in verse 8, it is as if Sennacherib says this, let me make a wager with you. Listen to what he said. Give a pledge to my master, the king of Assyria, and I'll give you 2,000 horses, if you're able on your part to put riders on them. In other words, if I were to give you 2,000 horsemen, you wouldn't have enough of an army 
to sit upon those horses, to stand in battle against us, the mighty Assyrians. So when Hezekiah goes before the Lord and begins to pray to God, he speaks of Him as the Lord of hosts, the Lord of power, His great armies. And then if you would, note what he says, the God of Israel. When he speaks of God, the God of Israel, he's talking now about a personal relationship that the children of Israel enjoyed with the God of heaven and earth. It was God that had called the nation of Israel to be His people. It was the nation of Israel that God had entered into a covenant relationship with. And God promised that through the nation, the southern kingdom, the Messiah would be brought into the world. So He is appealing to the God who enjoyed a very special, close-knit relationship with His people. You think that mattered? I think it did. And then note also, He said, You are God. You alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. But note if you would, he said, the one who dwells between the cherubims. Now, the Ark of the Covenant, if you go back and you read the Old Testament, you'll find that the Ten Commandments were in the Ark. The mercy seat stood above it. And on the lid of the Ark of the Covenant were two cherubims facing one another signifying the presence of God. And so now he's talking about not just the power of God, not only is he addressing this personal relationship that they sustain with God, but now he is appealing to the God who is ever-present. Says something about the faith of this great king, doesn't it? And when you look at the history of the kings of Israel, there were a lot of bad kings. Hezekiah, however, was one of the better kings. He was a good man. He had his faults, but he was nonetheless a good man. And so he said, You are God, you alone, and all the kingdoms of the earth. He said, You have made heaven and earth. Again, appealing to the power of Almighty God. Do you remember the psalmist many years ago said, I will lift up mine eyes to the hills. And then he asked this question. He said, I will lift up mine eyes to the hills, from whence comes my help? He said, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven, who made the heavens and the earth. And the idea is, if there's a God in heaven and He had the ability, the power, to create the world in which we live, then surely He can stand by us and help us. So I think about Hezekiah's prayer for deliverance from a public crisis, but then note if you would, in chapter 38, he prays for deliverance from a personal crisis. And again, I think it says something about the faith of Hezekiah. Here's a man that recognized the importance of prayer in life, whether it be from a public perspective or private matters. Note if you would what is said beginning in verse, well, pick up again in verse 1. Hezekiah was said to be sick near death. Isaiah the prophet has been summoned, instructed to say to the king, 
Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord. If we were faced with similar circumstances in life, do you think we would find the time to pray to God? Is it not the case that probably the very first response we would have would be to bow our heads in prayer to God, the God who created the heavens and the earth? Listen to what he says in verse 3. Note, if you would, his touching prayer, but not just touching prayer, but his tearful prayer. Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what was good and right in your sight. And the Bible says Hezekiah wept bitterly. I said a minute ago that there are times in life, no doubt, when from the vantage point of human answers, we don't have any. Can you imagine being told that Death is imminent in the sense that you have a terminal illness. What would you do if the doctors were to tell you this week that your son, your daughter, has a terminal illness and the one that you brought into this world is not going to live long? What would you do? Would you not appeal to the God of heaven as Hezekiah did? I think all of us would. I think we would all recognize, first, the frailty of life, but then to recognize that we are bowing in the presence of an almighty Creator. A Creator that loves us, that cares for us, who is concerned about our well-being, who understands the frailties and the heartaches and the trials and sorrows of life, do you remember the psalmist said many years ago, he said he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. If anybody knows us, God does. He's our creator, isn't he? As a parent, sometimes we talk about the intimate knowledge that we have about our children. We know them cover to cover, as we say. Well, God knows us from cover to cover, inside out. So, Hezekiah prays to Almighty God, prays for deliverance from a personal crisis. There is a third thing I want to share with you in our study. It has to do with the power of Hezekiah's prayers. I said a minute ago that I really believe that the New Testament correlation to what we're studying tonight is found in James chapter 5. In James chapter 5, verse 16, again, James said, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Again, James is talking about the power of prayer in the life of a believer. And those of us who belong to the family of God, we have one of the greatest blessings known to man. Prayer. So let's talk for a minute about the privilege of reaching up to God in prayer. 
There are a couple of thoughts I want to share with you along these lines. First and foremost, I would say, Hezekiah, as a man of faith, recognized the privilege of prayer. Because his response, his immediate response, whether it be public disaster, private, personal disaster, crisis, whatever you want to call it, his immediate response was prayer to God. That is a unique privilege that we enjoy. You know, Peter said many years ago, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and His ears are open to their prayers. The beauty of prayer to God is that He is always available. That He is always ready, willing, and able to take our prayers. So the privilege of prayer And not just the privilege of prayer, but the power of prayer. To understand something about the power that we have in praying to God. Listen again to what, listen again if you would, to what Hezekiah said regarding the threat of Assyria. He said, incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear all the words of Sennacherib, who has sent to reproach the living God. Do you think God heard that prayer? I think He did. In chapter 38, when Hezekiah prayed to God, and he said, remember now, O Lord, I pray how I've walked before you in truth with a loyal heart, and have done what is good in your sight. And he wept bitterly before the Lord. Do you think God heard his prayer? I think he did, and we'll note that in just a minute. But the privilege and the power of prayer. I don't have the telephone number to the President of the United States. Personally, I don't know anyone that does. But there are people in this country that have access to people of great prominence and power. But I want to ask you, Is there anyone you know of that has greater power than the God of heaven? I don't know them. Never met them. Don't expect to. So the privilege and the power of prayer. Now we talk about Hezekiah being a man of faith. Hezekiah would would have been familiar with the Old Testament Scriptures. As a matter of fact, Moses said, In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 17, one of the things that the king was to do was to keep a copy of the law at his side. To live in accordance with the law of God. But you think about the Psalms, and many of the Psalms were penned by David, weren't they? Do you not think that it's highly probable that Hezekiah knew something about Psalm 55? I think he did. Would it have not been the case that he would have been familiar with what David said about prayer? Evening, morning, and noon will I pray and cry aloud. And what was it David said in connection with that? He said, and you'll hear my voice. David believed in the power of prayer. David believed in the privilege of prayer. I would encourage you this week, to read Psalm 65 and 66. And note, if you would, 
the emphasis given to prayer and the effectiveness of prayer in the life of David. David could look back and recognize that God had played a very powerful part in his life. Many of us can look back and we can see the effectiveness of prayer in our own lives, can't we? So, Hezekiah recognized the privilege and the power of prayer. But then, let me just share with you another thought. And that is, he recognized the power of reaching out to God in prayer. Now, he recognized the privilege of reaching up to God in prayer, but he also recognized the power of reaching out to God in prayer. Well, how do you know that? Well, in chapter 37, he prays passionately about the intentions of Sennacherib. In verse 21, Isaiah sent word to Hezekiah and he said, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Because you have prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, this is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning him. We're not going to take time to read the contents of what the Lord said. But I want you to drop down and note, if you would, verse 36. And note His deliverance from public crisis. Well, pick up with me, if you would, in verse 33. The Lord said concerning the king of Assyria, He shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor build a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return. He shall not come into this city, says the Lord. Now look at verse 35. For I will defend this city to save it, for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. God had made a promise to David, hadn't he? There was a covenant relationship with the children of Israel. God had acknowledged to David many years earlier that He would raise up one to sit upon His throne. That one was Jesus, the Son of God. But God is saying, in effect, to Hezekiah, you need to understand something. I'm going to defend this city. I have roped it off. Sennacherib is not going to come into this city. He's not going to lay siege to it. He's not going to destroy it. And then look at verse 36. Then the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And the text says, when the people arose early in the morning, there were the corpses, all dead. Now let's just pause there for a minute. Can you imagine? Here you are, the king of Israel, and you have prayed to God for deliverance. He has sent the angel of Jehovah, and I really believe that this was the second member of the Godhead here. And he has swept through the camp of the Assyrians, and 185,000 people were put to death. That's power. Now, 185,000 people. There are cities that don't have that many people. 
In Murfreesboro, Tennessee, they have about 200,000 people. Imagine living in a city and waking up the next morning and everyone being dead. Utterly incredible. The text says in verse 37, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away, returned home, and remained at Nineveh. Who fought that battle on behalf of Hezekiah and the children of Israel? I can tell you who did. God did. Now look at chapter 38. Not only did he experience deliverance from a public crisis, but he enjoyed deliverance from a personal crisis. He's prayed to God about the imminent death that has been spoken of by the prophet. Look at verse 4. In verse 4, the word of the Lord came to Isaiah saying, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of David your father. Now listen to what he said. I have heard your prayer. Does God hear our prayers? Yes, He does. Didn't John write in 1 John chapter 5, this is a confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. God said to the, well, God said through the prophet to Hezekiah, He said, I have heard your prayer and I have seen your tears. Sometimes in personal crisis, we weep alone. And we hurt and sorrow. And the problems that we're dealing with, the complexity of those problems are literally overwhelming. We really don't know where to turn. We don't know to whom to turn. And there are times when we wonder, does anyone really care? Somewhat fearful to share the difficulties that we're facing but to recognize that there is a God in heaven who hears. As he said to Hezekiah, I have heard your prayers. I have seen your tears. We sing so many times, does the Lord care? Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. You know, David said many years ago, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. Peter said, casting all your care on him for He cares for you. Now listen to what God said through the prophet. I've heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. And I will add to your days 15 years. And then He said, I will also deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. The promises of God. Now I understand that God doesn't operate as He did in that day and time. But God is still operating in the lives of His people, isn't He? He is still, as the psalmist said, the sovereign ruler of the universe because the psalmist said in Psalm 99 verse 1, the Lord reigns. He is over the heavens and the earth and God is working in the lives of His people. He is working on behalf of His people. Aren't you grateful for the kind and providential care of Almighty God. When we, when we face 
crisis in our lives, whatever that crisis may be, to recognize that there is a resource that we have available at all hours of the day. That resource is prayer. When Peter said the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and His ears are open unto their prayers. The picture I have is of Almighty God in heaven sitting upon His throne as if His ears are bent toward earth. And He's listening to His people. As a parent, when your children come to you and your children are hurting, Maybe tears are flowing down their face. And they're facing difficulties in their life. And they come to you. And they ask for your comfort, your guidance, your counsel. As a parent, aren't you there? And aren't you ready to help them? The answer is yes, isn't it? That's the picture of God. Always ready to help us. God has an investment in us. He made a tremendous investment in us when He sent His Son into this world. And because of that investment, He is interested in us. And I would want all of us to know that God is interested in our well-being. He is interested in our physical well-being, our mental well-being, and our spiritual well-being to recognize the power and the privilege of prayer. Tonight in closing, I want to encourage you if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, to recognize that one of the great blessings of being a child of God has to do with all the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. Those blessings are unique to God's people. The beauty of it is that God wants to bestow these blessings on us, doesn't He? So what would you need to do to become a child of God? Well, to put your faith and trust in Jesus as the Son of God. To recognize that He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. To repent of all your sins, to confess His name before others. To be buried with Him in baptism. So that you might contact the blood of Christ that washes away all of our sins. Acts twenty two sixteen. It might be that you're here tonight. And maybe you've been facing crisis after crisis in your life. And it might be the case that you just need people to pray with you and for you. As God's family, we'd be happy to pray with you and for you tonight. If you're here tonight, maybe for whatever reason, you're not faithful to the cause of Christ and you want the prayers of the church. You want the church to pray with you and for you tonight that God would abundantly pardon we're here to do that as well as we stand and sing.